Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You're listening to The Dry by Jane Harper. Read for you by Stephen Shanahan. Chapter 15 Fork leaned against the rock tree, staring down at the dusty river. The Hadler's place and his car were down the path to his left. To his right, the hint of a forgotten trail led away from the river and deeper into the bushland. It had all but disappeared over the past twenty years, but to Fork it was a tattoo on the landscape. He had walked it a thousand times. He stood for a long time, arguing with himself. Finally, he stepped to the right. A thousand times. Once more couldn't hurt. It took only a few minutes to reach the end of the trail, but when Fork emerged from the trees the sky was already a deep indigo. Across a field, a family farmhouse shone grey in the twilight. Fork cut straight over the field like he always had. His pace slowed as he got closer, until he came to a halt about 20 metres from the building. He stared at what had been his childhood home. The porch door that used to be yellow was now an insipid shade of blue, he noted, with something like indignation. It had pock marks where the paint was peeling. He could see flashes of yellow underneath, gaping like fatty scars. The wooden steps where he'd sat fiddling with toys and footy cards now sagged with age. Underneath, a beer can nestled in the flaxen grass. He fought the sudden urge to pick it up and find a bin, to paint the wood, fix the steps. Instead, he stayed where he was. The windows were all unlit but one, which glowed with a television blue. Fork felt a sharp pang of longing for what might have been. He could see his father standing at the screen door in the evenings, a tall figure framed with the glow of light from the house, calling him to leave his games and come in. Time for dinner, Aaron. Bath, bed, in you come, son. Time to come home. His dad rarely spoke of Aaron's mother, but when Aaron was younger, he'd like to pretend he could feel her in the house. He had run his fingers over things he knew she would have touched, the kitchen taps, the bathroom fittings, the curtains, and imagined her in the same spot. They'd been happy there once, Fork knew. Him and his father, at least. Looking at the house now, it was like a line in his life. A marker at the cusp of before and after. A surge of anger fizzed, directed at least partly at himself. He didn't know why he'd come. He took a step back. It was just another building in need of repair. There was nothing of him or his dad left there. He was turning to leave when the screen door screeched open. A woman stepped out, her squashy figure backlit by the television glow. Dull chestnut hair was scraped back in a limp ponytail and her hips spilled over the top of her waistband. 
Her face was the purple red of a woman whose drinking was crossing the line from social to serious. She lit a cigarette and inhaled deeply, staring at Fork in cold-eyed silence. Help you, mate? She exhaled, her eyes narrowing into slits as the smoke drifted across her face. No, I... He stopped, mentally kicking himself. He should have thought of something, some excuse for lurking outside a stranger's door as night fell. He studied her expression. There was suspicion, but not recognition. She didn't know who he was. That helped. He considered and rejected telling her the truth in a single moment. He could always flash the badge. He would if he had to, but Fork the cop was embarrassed to find himself there. Sorry, he said. I used to know the people who lived here. The woman said nothing, took another drag from the cigarette. With her spare hand, she reached behind and thoughtfully plucked the seat of her shorts from between her buttocks. She never took her narrowed eyes off Fork. Me and my hubby are the only ones here. Been here five years. And the place was his mum's for 15 or so before that. It's been about that long, Fork said. The people before her? They're gone, she said, with the tone of someone forced to state the obvious. She dabbed her index finger and thumb to her tongue and removed a piece of tobacco. I know. So? It was a good question. Fork wasn't sure of the answer himself. The woman twisted around at a noise from inside the house. She opened the screen door wide enough to poke her head back indoors. Yeah, love, Fork heard her say. I'm sorting it, it's fine. No one, go back in. No, just go back in, will you? The woman waited a moment, then re-emerged, red-faced and scowling. She turned back to Fork and stepped off the porch towards him, stopped a few metres away. You'd better leave right now if you know what's good for you. Her voice was quiet but hostile. He's had a few and he's not going to be happy if he has to come out here, right? We've got bugger all to do with any of that stuff that happened back then, understand? Never have. His mum neither. So you can take your bloody press pass or spray paint or bag of dog shit or whatever you're here for and piss off, all right? Look, I'm sorry. Fork took a big step back, showed her his palms, unthreatening. I didn't mean to upset you, either of you. Yeah, well, you have. This is our home, right? Bought and paid for, and I'm buggered if we're going to be harassed. It's been 20 years. Aren't you dickheads bored of it by now? Look, fair enough, I'll go. She took a single step forward, pointed to the house with one hand and held out her mobile phone with the other. Too right you will, or it won't be the cops I'll be calling. It'll be him inside and some of his mates will be all too happy to get the message across, you hear me? Get lost. She took a deep breath, her voice louder now. And you can share that with whoever needs to know. We've got nothing to do with them that lived here, nothing to do with those freaks. The words seemed to echo across the fields. Fork stood frozen for a moment. Then, without a reply, he turned and walked away. He didn't look back once. Chapter 16 Gretchen's blonde hair bobbed through the pub crowd and Fork felt a swift stab of gratitude that he hadn't given in to his urge to cancel. Leaving his old house behind the night before, he'd walked straight to his car and stood there for a long time, 
fighting the temptation to drive all the way back to Melbourne. After a restless night, he'd spent the day holed up in his room, poring over the stack of documents he'd taken from the Hadler's farm. It had been a fairly fruitless search, but he'd continued to work through methodically, making the odd note when something caught his eye. Head down, get the job done. Emerging briefly only to get food, he'd ignored the weekend bustle on the street and after a moment's guilt, turned his phone to silent when Jerry had called. Fork would do what he'd promised. That didn't mean he wanted to talk about it. Now, downstairs in the pub, for the first time all day, he didn't feel in quite such a hurry to get away. Gretchen found him sitting at a table tucked into the back corner, his hat pulled forward. She was back in black, but a dress this time. It was short with a hem that skimmed her bare legs as she walked. It suited her far better than her funeral clothes. A few heads among the Saturday night crowd turned as she passed. Not as many as in high school, Falk noted, but some. You look nice, he said. Gretchen seemed pleased and gave him a peck on the cheek as he stood up to get the drinks. She smelled good. Something flowery. Thanks. So do you. I like the shirt. Very cutting-edge Kiwara. She nodded at his recent purchase, and he grinned. She edged into the corner seat. Was this the only table left, or are you hiding? Hiding, sort of. Fork smiled despite himself. I went back to my old house last night. She raised her eyebrows. And? It wasn't quite what I expected. It never is. He went to the counter and let the bearded barman pour him a beer and slightly suspect white wine. When he returned, Gretchen lifted a glass. Cheers. Remember when we couldn't wait to be able to get served in here? All those nights in the park downing whatever we could get our hands on? She widened her blue eyes in mock disbelief as she gestured at their surroundings. Now look at us. Living the dream. Fork laughed and their eyes met as they thought back. Fork knew Gretchen's glossy-lipped, long-limbed teenage years gave her a deeper well of youthful joy to draw on than most. But looking at her now in her dress, he was struck by the thought that those years, before Ellie died and before everything changed, may have been her happiest. He hoped not. He hoped she'd had more. He frowned involuntarily, and the moment was lost. Gretchen leaned in. Listen, you should know. The cat's definitely out of the bag. It's all round town that you're nosing around what happened to the Hadlers, you and the sergeant. It's nothing official. And you think that matters? Fork nodded. Fair point. What's the general feeling? It depends who you ask. Some people think it couldn't come soon enough. Others are pretty sure you of all people should be minding your own business. She lowered her voice and everyone's shitting themselves about what it means if someone else killed them. Fork felt a pang of guilt at the string of missed calls from Jerry Hadler on his phone. He resolved to call him first thing in the morning. What do you think about it? Fork asked, curious. I think you should be careful. She fiddled with the stem of her wine glass. Don't get me wrong, I'd love to know Luke didn't do it. You think he did? She frowned, thought before answering. I don't know. I couldn't believe it when I heard the news. 
but it was more disbelief that something like that had happened at all. From what we were all hearing, it seemed pretty clear-cut. I didn't really stop to think whether or not Luke had actually been responsible, you know. Neither did most people. Neither did I. She gave a twisted little smile. I wouldn't say this to anyone but you, but that's partly Luke's own fault for being such an asshole. The fields below them glowed silver in the moonlight, the occasional farmhouse standing out like a smudge on the land. The foursome sat on the edge of the rocky outcrop, dangling their feet over the edge. Luke had been the first one to climb over the fence, kicking the keep-out sign with his foot as he did. He deliberately hadn't shaved for a few days, Aaron noted with annoyance, and had a dusting of stubble shading his chin. It was more visible in the moonlight as he stood near the rocky edge and stretched his arms out wide, surveying the view. Aaron had felt his stomach flip at the sight of the unguarded drop, but hoisted himself over the fence without a glance at the others. Ellie was right behind him. Luke made a big show of putting his arm out to help Gretchen. She didn't need it, but she took it with a smile. Now they sat talking and laughing, their insides warm from the half-empty bottle they were passing around. Only Ellie shook her head when the bottle came her way. They took it in turns, daring each other to lean forward and stare over the precipice, full of bluster and bullshit, scary, but not scared. Fork raised his eyebrows a fraction, but didn't disagree. There's a big gap between arsehole and murderer, he said. Gretchen nodded. And listen, I'm not saying he did it, but was he capable of it? Gretchen glanced around the room, as though Luke might materialise and overhear her. That's a completely different question. Luke had his arm around Gretchen's waist, Aaron could see out of the corner of his eye. Luke leaned in to murmur something and Gretchen glanced down coyly, her eyelashes casting blue shadows on her cheeks. Aaron could feel Ellie next to him, but didn't move. It was the first time he'd seen her properly since their kiss a week earlier at the rock tree, and he still felt on shaky ground. She said she'd been working every night. He'd allowed himself to go to the shop only once. She'd waved from behind the till, but it wasn't a place they could talk. On the walk up to the lookout, he'd hung back, hoping to engineer a few minutes alone with her, but Luke had stuck maddeningly by his side. Ellie gave no sign she was thinking about what had happened at the tree. By the time they'd reached the hill, Aaron was starting to feel he'd imagined the whole thing. They'd trudged up the trail, Aaron half listening as Luke loudly told some story. Suddenly, Ellie looked over and caught his gaze across Luke's head. She rolled her eyes with exaggerated suffering, then smiled. A pure, knowing, secret smile, meant just for him. Buoyed now by the memory, Aaron shifted looking to move a little closer. He turned but stopped short, the movement frozen before it had begun. The light was poor up there on the lookout, but it was bright enough for Aaron to see some things clearly. Among them, Ellie's eyes, and the way they were focused on Luke Hadler as he whispered in Gretchen's ear. Luke could be so selfish sometimes, Gretchen said. She ran a finger through a condensation ring on the table, ruining it. He would put himself first, second and third and not even realise it. Didn't he? It wasn't just me. She looked gratified when Falk nodded. 
Sorry, she said, I'm having trouble separating the Luke I knew from what people are saying. The Luke I thought I knew anyway. I always thought Luke was pretty straightforward when we were younger, Falk said. He was very open, said what he thought. You might not always have liked it, but at least you knew where you were with him. And now? I don't know. His bravado drove me nuts, but underneath that, I always felt he was one of the good guys. Well, let's hope so, Gretchen rolled her eyes. I'd hate to think he wasn't worth it. What do you mean? Oh, nothing. She looked embarrassed. Stupid stuff. I just meant becoming friends with him in the first place. And you and Ellie. It changed a lot for me. Kids I wouldn't give the time of day to started shunning me after Ellie died, like I was tainted by association. But they were dumb teenage problems compared with everything else. Nothing worth worrying about. She couldn't completely disguise the wistful note in her voice. Fork thought about her wide social circles that had seemed to shrink when she'd become a firm member of their ill-fated foursome. It occurred to him for the first time that without him and without Ellie, golden-haired Gretchen may in fact have found herself lonely. He'd never considered the possibility before. He stretched out his hand and touched her arm. I'm sorry I wasn't better at keeping in touch. It wasn't that I didn't care, it was just... He stopped. I didn't think. I should have made the effort. Gretchen gave a small smile. Forget it. I was no better. I blame age and hormones. We were all stupid back then. Luke stood and gave an exaggerated stretch. Going for a piss, he announced. His teeth glowed white in the shadows. Don't get into trouble while I'm gone. He disappeared into the bushes, and the remaining three sat shoulder to shoulder. Aaron and Gretchen passed the bottle between them, and he could hear her humming tunelessly to herself. On his other side, Elliot fixed the horizon with a thousand-yard stare. The tranquility was broken by a heavy crash and a loud scream. It echoed in the silence. The three looked at each other, faces silvery and shocked. Then Aaron was on his feet and running on rubbery vodka legs towards the sound. He pulled ahead of the girls and could hear someone's panicked, raspy breath behind him. He skidded to a halt at the edge of a sheer drop. The bushes were torn and flattened in a rough patch. Branches near the edge were snapped clean off. Luke! Gretchen appeared by his side and screamed into the void. Her voice bounced back, crying his name on repeat. There was no reply. Fork dropped onto all fours and crept to the edge. He peered down, afraid of what he would see. The drop was more than a hundred metres. The bottom disappeared in the gloom. Luke, mate, can you hear me? He yelled. Gretchen was crying, her face a wet mess. Ellie arrived behind her, edging through the bushes. Walking, not running. Fork's breath was a deafening roar in his ears. Ellie's sober gaze wandered over the trampled bush. She turned and surveyed the bushland behind them, her eyes lingering on the shadows of the trees. Stepping towards the edge of the cliff, she peered once into the abyss. She looked straight at Aaron and gave a tiny shrug. The dickhead's faking it. She turned and picked something invisible off one of her fingernails. 
I actually wondered if you and Luke would stay together, Fork said. He was self-centred, but he always had a genuine soft spot for you. Gretchen's small laugh had a bite to it. And be a sidekick in the Luke show 24-7? No thanks. She sighed. Her voice lost its edge. We did try for a couple of years after you left. It felt serious at the time, but it was kid stuff, really. I think at heart we were both trying to keep the foursome together somehow. It fell apart, though, of course. Bad ending? Oh, no. She looked up and gave a tight smile. Not especially. No worse than usual, anyway. We just grew up. He got married, I had Lockie. Anyway, Luke was never right for me. I know that now. She blinked. I mean, even before all this with Karen and Billy happened. There was a clumsy pause. So Luke never spoke about me? After you left, I mean? Gretchen's casual tone failed to mask her curiosity. Fork hesitated. We didn't really discuss Kiwara at all if we could help him. Kind of made a point of it. I'd ask after you, of course, and he said you were well, that he'd seen you out and about, that sort of thing, but... He trailed off, keen not to hurt her feelings. In fact, Luke had barely mentioned Gretchen unless prompted. Fork was surprised to learn now that they'd continued to date for more than a few months. Luke had always made their relationship sound like something soon abandoned. I was quite surprised Luke ended up staying in Kawara, Gretchen said. After you left, for a while all he talked about was getting out. He had plans to go to Melbourne and study engineering, work on the big projects. Did he? That was news to Fork. Luke had never mentioned it. Never once asked for his help, a job reference, a place to crash in the city. Why didn't he go? Gretchen shrugged. I guess eventually he met Karen. It's always been hard to know what Luke really wanted, though. She paused, repositioned her wine glass on the table. You know, I reckon if she'd lived, Luke would actually have ended up with Ellie. She was more his type than me, probably more his type than Karen even, for that matter. Fork sipped his drink and wondered if that were true. Gretchen was hysterical. Her colour was high and her blonde hair was damp with sweat. Fork realised she was more drunk than she'd seemed. His own head was spinning. He kept creeping up and looking down at the drop, yelling Luke's name. Will you keep back from there? Ellie called as he nearly lost his footing for a third time. If you go over there, really will be something to worry about. Aaron wished he could be as calm as she was. At first he'd felt a spark of hope she might be right. Luke could be faking it. But as the minutes ticked on, he became less and less sure. Luke knew his way around, but the cliffs were notoriously unstable. They'd been told that, warned to keep away, more than once, and the booze they'd shared was already rolling around in his stomach. Maybe Ellie was right, but what if? Jerry's and Barb's faces sprang into his mind, and he couldn't complete the thought. We have to, for God's sake, Gretchen, shut up for a second. We have to go and get help, he said. Ellie merely shrugged. She walked to the cliff and lined up the toes of her boots right on the edge. She looked over for a long moment, then took a step back. She lifted her chin slightly. You hear that, Luke? She called in a clear voice that echoed and bounced off the rock face. We're heading down! 
Everyone's shitting themselves. Last chance. It felt to Aaron like nothing moved while he held his breath and waited. The lookout remained silent. All right, Ellie called. She sounded sad rather than angry. You've made your choice. I hope you're happy. The accusatory inflection rolled through the valley below. Aaron stared at her for a moment, right into her cold gaze, then grabbed Gretchen's hand and started running down the trail. Sometimes it feels like you were the only person Luke was loyal to, Gretchen said, and the way he stood by you around Ellie's death. He copped a load of grief for that after you left. All kinds of people were leaning on him to change his story, give you up. She drained her wine glass and peered at Fork over the rim. He never would. Fork took a breath. Now was the time to tell her. Luke lied. You lied. Listen, Gretch, about that. You were lucky, really. She cut him off. Her voice had lowered a notch. Lucky you were with him, for starters. But the amount of flack he got around here, it would have been far easier for him to roll over and change his story. Without Luke, I reckon the Clyde cops would have pinned that on you, no question. Yeah, I know, but listen, Gretch. She glanced around the bar. More than one or two watching faces hastily turned away. Look, Luke stuck to his gun, stuck by you, really, for 20 years, she said, quieter now. That's more or less the only thing standing between you and a whole lot of problems around here. So a word to the wise. I'd be making sure I was singing pretty loud and long from the same song sheet. As they rounded the corner at the bottom of the hill, Aaron couldn't believe it, then immediately could believe it. Luke was lounging on a rock in perfect health, with a grin on his face and a cigarette in one hand. Hey, he laughed. What took you guys so long? Yet Aaron lunged at him. Jesus, Gretchen, I am, Fork said, trying to keep his tone light. But her message was clear. Don't ask, don't tell. Why wouldn't I be? They stared at each other for a moment. Then Gretchen sat back in her seat and smiled at him properly. Good. No reason at all. Just want to make sure you're being sensible. Better safe than sorry. She lifted her wine glass, realised it was empty, and put it down. Fork drained his own and went to the bar for two more. If everyone was so sure about me, he said when he returned, I'm surprised they didn't run Luke out of town as well. Gretchen took the glass, her smile fading. Some tried, you know, at first, she said, pretty hard. But you know how Luke was, he brazened it out. He didn't wobble, didn't waver. Eventually they kind of accepted it. They pretty much had to. She glanced around the pub again. Fewer faces were watching now. Look, if they're honest with themselves, most people know Ellie killed herself. She was a 16-year-old girl who needed support that she obviously didn't get, and yeah, we should all be feeling guilty about that, but people don't generally like feeling guilty. And ultimately, it was your name on the note. There never really was an explanation for that. She paused and raised her eyebrows slightly. Fork gave a tiny shake of his head. He couldn't explain it then. He couldn't explain it now. He had racked his brain over the years, reliving his last conversations with Ellie, trying to decipher a message or a meaning. To her, he had been Aaron, 
not fork. What had been going through her mind when she wrote it? Sometimes he wasn't sure what disturbed him more, the trouble it had caused, or the fact he'd never know the reason why. Well, Gretchen said, it doesn't really matter. She was thinking about you in some way around the time she died, and for anyone looking to point the finger, it was enough. Like it or not, Luke was a big character. He was involved in the community. He became a bit of a leader in this town, and we couldn't afford to lose many of them. I think, by and large, people just chose to put it out of their minds. She shrugged. It's the same reason everyone round here puts up with morons like Dow and Deacon. It's Kiwara. It's tough. But we're all in it together. You were gone. Luke stayed. You got the blame. Aaron lunged at him and Luke stepped back. Watch it, he said as Aaron grabbed his shoulders. They stumbled, falling backwards to the ground. They landed with a thud and Luke's cigarette rolled out of his fingers. Ellie stepped over and ground it out. Watch the sparks, will you? You've already managed to scare them. Try not to burn us all to death as well. Aaron, pinning Luke under his own weight, felt him bristle at her tone. It was one he'd heard her use on farm animals. Jesus, Ellie, what's crawled up your ass? You can't take a joke all of a sudden? Luke aimed for light-hearted bravado, fell short. Aaron could smell the alcohol in his sweat. Did no one tell you? Ellie snapped. A joke's supposed to be funny. Christ, what the hell's wrong with you these days? You don't like a drink, don't like a laugh, you hardly come out, you're always working at that stupid shop. You're so boring now, Ellie. Maybe you and Aaron should just get together and be done with it. Perfectly bloody suited. Boring. As the word landed, Aaron felt like Luke had hit him. He stared at his friend in disbelief, then grabbed the front of his shirt and pushed him away so hard Luke's head hit the ground with a smack. He rolled away from Luke, his breathing ragged, not trusting himself to look over. Ellie stared down at Luke sprawled in the dust, her face showing something worse than anger. Pity. All around, everything seemed still. That's what you think? She stood over him. You think your friends are boring because they're loyal to you? Because they show some sense once in a while? The only joke around here is you, Luke. The fact you think it's okay to use people for your own amusement. Get stuffed, I don't. You do, Ellie went on. You do it to all of us. Me, Aaron, your girlfriend over there. You think it's normal to frighten the people who care about you? To play people off against each other? She shook her head. And to you, it's all just a big game. That's the scariest thing about you. No one said anything for a long moment. The words hung between them in the air like mist as each of the four avoided looking at the others. Ellie moved first, turning sharply and without a second glance, she walked off. Luke and Aaron stared after her from the ground, then clamoured to their feet. Aaron still couldn't bring himself to look at Luke. Bitch, he heard Luke mutter at Ellie's back. Hey, don't you call her that, Aaron said his voice sharp. Ahead, Ellie gave no sign whether she'd heard either of them and continued walking at a steady pace. Luke turned and flung his arm around Gretchen, whose sobs had been stunned into silence. I'm sorry if I gave you a bit of a scare, babe. You knew it was meant to be a bit of fun, didn't you? 
He bent his head and pushed his lips against her cheek. His face shone with sweat and was an angry red. But fair enough, maybe things went a bit far. Said a couple of things I shouldn't have. Maybe I owe you guys an apology. He sounded like he'd never meant anything less. You certainly owe them something. Ellie's voice drifted back in the night air. None of them had mentioned the argument again, but it had clung to them like the heat. Ellie spoke to Luke only when she had to, and always with the same polite but distant tone. Aaron, embarrassed around Ellie and pissed off with Luke, kept to himself a little more. Gretchen found herself cast in the role of middleman, and Luke simply pretended not to notice anything had changed. It would probably all blow over, Aaron told himself, but in reality, he wasn't sure. The cracks had been exposed and they were deeper than he'd realised. He never found out whether he was right or not. Ellie had only another two weeks to live. Gretchen reached out across the scarred table and touched the edge of Fork's fingers. The noise of the pub faded a little into the background. She had hard-working hands. Her nails were bare and clean and the pads of her fingertips were rough against his own office-blanched skin. Ellie had been wrong about her, Fork knew. Gretchen was never an airhead. She was made of much sterner stuff than that. She had stayed and faced the music. She'd built her life in a community that had got the better of others, not least himself, and possibly now Luke Hadler. Gretchen was tough. She was a fighter. And she was smiling at him. I know it wasn't easy for you to come back here, but it really is good to see you, she said. You were always the only one of us who had any sense. I wish... She paused, shrugged. One tanned shoulder lifted against the strap of her dress. I wish you'd been able to stay. Maybe then everything would have been different. They looked at each other until Fork felt heat creep up his chest and neck. He cleared his throat and was still thinking of a response when a figure stepped in front of him. Chapter 17 Grant Dow placed a half-empty beer glass firmly on the table between them with a bang. He was wearing the same shorts and Balinese beer t-shirt as the day before. Fork groaned. I thought you were barred, he said, keeping his voice as neutral as he could. I generally find that's more of a suggestion round here. Fork looked past Dow to where the barman was watching with a resigned look. Fork raised his eyebrows, but the barman just shrugged. What can you do? Across the table, Gretchen caught Fork's eye. She gave a tiny shake of her head. When she spoke, her voice was light. What do you want, Grant? I'll tell you what you want, Gretch. You want to be more careful who you choose for your boyfriends. Dow had some of Mal Deacon's arrogance, Fork noticed, but while his uncle's mean streak was reptile cold, Dow was definitely hot-blooded. Up close, his face was a flushed mess of broken veins and high blood pressure. Girls who hang around this bloke tend to end up dead. Behind him, his mates sniggered, their reaction a fraction late. Fork wasn't sure if they were the same gang Dow had been with the previous night. They looked wholly interchangeable. The barman had stopped serving as he watched the exchange. Thanks, Grant, but I'm a big girl. I can make my own decisions, Gretchen said. 
So if you've said your piece, why don't you get on with your night and leave us to get on with ours? Dow's laugh exposed a mouthful of neglected teeth. His beery breath wafted towards Fork. I'll bet you will, Gretch, he said, giving her a wink. You're looking particularly fancy tonight, if I may say so. We don't normally see you all frocked up round here. He looked at Fork. That dress must be all for you, you dickhead. Hope you appreciate it. Gretchen's cheeks coloured, and she avoided Fork's eye. Fork stood up and took a single step closer to Dow. He was gambling that Dow's desire to avoid the hassle of arrest would outweigh the temptation to throw a punch. He hoped he was right. Fork knew he was a man of some skills, but pub fighting was not among them. What is it you want, Grant? Fork said calmly. As it happens, Dow said, I think we got off on the wrong foot yesterday, so I've come to give you a chance to make amends. For what? You know what? They looked at each other. Grant Dow had always been older, bigger, stronger. Constantly hovering on the cusp of anger, he sent people scurrying to the other side of the street as he approached. Now older, fatter and with the faint whiff of chronic ill health on the horizon, the bitterness seemed to seep from his pores. Is that all? Fork said. No, that's not bloody all. Take my advice, take my uncle's advice for what it's worth these days. Leave. Dow's voice was low. That sack of shit Hadler's not worth the trouble you're going to find yourself in, mark my words. Dow glanced over his shoulder at his cronies. Out of the pub window was nothing but night. Fork knew beyond the main street, the town was all but deserted. Out here, those badges don't mean as much as they should. Maybe so, but they still meant something. I'll be leaving when we've got some clarity about the Hadlers' deaths, Fork said. Not before. This has bugger all to do with you. A family shot dead in a small town like this? I'd say that has something to do with everyone. And you seem to have some strong thoughts on the matter, so maybe we start with you. Make this thing official. What do you reckon? Fork reached into his pocket and pulled out a small notebook and pencil. He wrote Hadler Inquiry across the top of the page. Directly underneath, he wrote Dow's name in large capitals so the man could see it. All right, calm down, dickhead. He was rattled, as Fork knew he would be. There was something about seeing a name on paper that said, On the Record. Confirm your address? I'm not giving you my address. No problem. Fork didn't miss a beat. Luckily, I know it. He wrote down the details of Deacon's farmhouse. He looked past Dow to his group of followers. They had taken a step away from the exchange. I'll take your mates' names as well if they're so keen to weigh in. Grant looked around. His gang had lost their vacuous expressions and were glaring at him. Trying to stitch me up, Dow said. Trying to find yourself a scapegoat. Grant, Fork said, fighting the urge to roll his eyes. You're the one who came over to our table. Dow looked him up and down, his expression thunderous. He'd closed his right fist, seemed to be deciding whether it was worth it. He glanced over his shoulder. The barman was still watching them, his hands braced on the countertop. He gave Dow a stern look and nodded towards the door. There'd be no more drinks for them tonight. Dow loosened his fist and took a casual step away, like it was hardly worth his effort. 
You're as full of lies and bullshit as ever, he said to Fork. Well, you'll need to be. Might give you a fighting chance here. With a jerk of his head, his mates followed him out of the pub. The general noise level which had dimmed during the exchange gradually swelled to normal. Fork sat back down. Gretchen was watching him, mouth open a fraction. He grinned, but as he put his notebook away, he kept his hand in his pocket until he was sure it had stopped shaking. Gretchen shook her head in disbelief. Jesus, son, welcome back. Well done. She gave him a wink. I told you you were the only one with any sense. She went up and got the next round. Later when the pub was closing, Fork walked her to her car. The street was quiet. Under the street lights, Gretchen's hair glowed like a halo. They stood there a foot apart, looking at each other, every move awkward and overthought until eventually she laughed and put both hands on his shoulders. She leaned in and kissed him on the cheek, catching the very corner of his mouth. He slipped his arms around her and they held each other close for a moment, heat on heat in the warm night air. Finally, with a small sigh, she pulled herself away, got into her car, and with a smile and a wave was gone. Fork stood alone under the swathe of stars, thinking of all things about Grant Dow. The man talked a lot of shit, that was certain, but he'd said one thing that Fork had caught and kept, and now took out and examined in his mind, turning it over like a find. That dress must be all for you, you dickhead. He grinned the whole way back to the pub. Fork had one foot on the staircase leading to his room when the barman's voice called out. In here a minute, mate, if you don't mind. Fork sighed, hand on the banister. He looked longingly up the stairs. A badly framed portrait of the Queen gazed down unsympathetically from the landing. He turned and trudged back through to the bar. The place was empty now. There was the acid lemon scent of cleaning fluid as the barman ran a cloth over the countertop. Drink? Thought you were closed. Fork pulled up a stool and sat down. I am. This one's on the house. The barman set a beer in front of Fork, then poured one for himself. Call it a thank you. For what? I've seen Grant Dow have a go at a lot of people. More often than not, it ends with me cleaning up someone's blood. Because that's not the case tonight, I can kick back and have a cold one with you. He held out a hand. David McMurdo. Cheers. Fork took a swallow of beer, surprised by how easily it went down. He'd had more to drink that week than he normally had in a month. Sorry about all that. I know I said there'd be no trouble. My friend, if all the trouble round here was handled like that, I'd be a happy man, McMurdo said, stroking his beard. Unfortunately, it's weighted a wee bit too much towards the hands-on kind in this place. How long have you been in town? Coming up to ten years. A lot of them still see me as fresh off the boat, though. Born and bred here, or forever an outsider, seems to be the Kiwara way. Born and bred isn't a free pass either, Fork said with a grim smile. How'd you end up all the way out here anyway? McMurdo paused, rolled his tongue over his teeth. What reason do you give for leaving Kiwara? Career opportunities, Fork said dryly. Well, I think I'll say the same and leave it at that. McMurdo gestured around the empty bar with a wink. Still, seems to have served you well. 
Yet pal Luke could have used some pointers from you on dealing with Dell, to be honest. Too late now, of course. They had run-ins. Like clockwork, McMurdo said. Used to make my heart sink when one would be here and the other would walk in. They were like, I don't know, a pair of magnets. Siamese twins, jealous ex-lovers, something. Neither of them could ever leave the other one alone. What did they fall out about? McMurdo rolled his eyes. What wasn't it about? You name it, the weather, the cricket, the bloody colour of their socks, always picking at each other, any excuse. What are we talking, fistfights? Occasionally, McMurdo said. It got vicious a few times, but not so much recently. Last few years it was more scuffles, heated rows. Don't get me wrong, there was no love loss, but I think they both enjoyed it in a way. Have a barney, blow off some steam. I've never understood that. Me neither. I'd rather have a nice drink myself, but must work for some blokes. He wiped the counter like a man who knew the health inspectors weren't watching. To be fair to Doe, it can't be easy looking after that uncle of his. Falk remembered how Maldeacon had mistaken him for his father. Do you know what's wrong with him? A wee bit touched in the head these days, whether it's the drink or something more medical I couldn't say, but it tends to keep him quiet, whatever it is. He wanders in and sits here with a drink sometimes, or potters around town scowling at folks with that dog of his, but that's about it. Grant Dow's never seemed the Florence Nightingale type. Does he care for his uncle full-time? McMurdo grinned. God, no. He's a labourer. Does odd jobs, plumbing, bit of building, whatever keeps him in beard money. But it's amazing what the promise of a windfall does, eh? Deacon's leaving the farm to him, or that's the story, anyway. It could be worth a fair bit with those Asian investment groups always sniffing round for land. The drought won't last forever, <laughs> apparently. Fork took a sip. Interesting. The Hadler's land backed onto Deacon's farm. He had no idea what the market price would be, but two parcels together were always more valuable to the right buyer. Provided the Hadler's place come up for sale, of course. A scenario far less likely when Luke was alive and at the helm than it was now. Fork filed the thought away for future consideration. So is the grapevine accurate about you looking into the Hadler's deaths? McMurdo was saying. It's not official, Fork said for the second time that night. Gotcha, McMurdo said with a knowing smile. Probably the best way to get anything done round here anyway. That said, anything happened that I should know about? You mean did Luke have a massive bust-up the night before he died? Did Grant Dowd declare in front of the entire pub that he was going to shoot the family in cold blood? Mm, that'd be helpful. Sorry to disappoint you, mate. McMurdo flashed a mouthful of yellowing teeth. Jamie Sullivan said he was in here with Luke the night before the killings, Fork said, making plans to shoot rabbits? That sounds a bit right. Was Dow in here too? Yeah, of course, he's here most nights, that's why he hates being barred. For all the good it does me, it's more of an annoyance for him than anything. Too difficult for me to enforce, and he knows it. Whenever I try, him and his gormless mates plonk themselves on the porch outside with a pile of tinnies. They get all the trouble with none of the revenue, you know. Anyway, McMurdo shook his head. To answer your question, Grant Dew was here that last night Luke was in, along with nearly everyone else, mind. The cricket was on TV, so it was packed. Did you see him and Luke talk? Interact at all? Either of them have a go at the other? 
Not that I remember, but like I said, it was a busy night. I was run off my feet. McMurdo thought for a moment as he downed the last swallow of his beer and suppressed a small burp. But who can say with those two? You could never tell from one night to the next what was going to happen. I know Luke was your mate and Doe's a dickhead, but in a lot of ways they were quite similar. Both bolshe, larger than life, got tempers on them. Two sides of the same coin, you know. Fork nodded. He knew. McMurdo took the empty glasses, and Fork took his cue to leave. He climbed off his stool and said good night, leaving the barman to switch off the lights and plunge the downstairs into darkness. As Fork half trudged, half tottered upstairs, his mobile flashed with a new voicemail. He waited until he was locked in his room and lying flat on his bed before clumsily punching the buttons. He closed his eyes as a familiar voice floated from the handset. Aaron, answer your phone, will you? Jerry Hadler's words were rushed in his ear. Look, I've been thinking a lot about the day Ellie died. A long pause. Come out to the farm tomorrow if you can. There's something you should know. Fork opened his eyes. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow this podcast to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of The Dry wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.